Friends, Romans, countrymen, the people of Clifton, lend me your ears. It's mid-October, forest on fire, and this is episode nine of the Forever Forest podcast. And I always say it like that. Don't know why. Um, I'm your host, Freebs. I once won a second place prize in the Lincolnshire show for my tea tray miniature garden. I was a pretty cool seven-year-old. Uh, joining me uh, after a couple of weeks off due to the, the international games are two wonderful members of the team uh, because of the England games, etc. not because they were playing anything internationally. I don't know. We'll have to check with them. Uh, first up, a chap who has recently finished an extension on his house in New Jersey. Uh, he's covered the walls with forest shirts, scarves and flags. But he wanted that full-on experience. So 15 minutes before each game he watches in there, he gets his partner to come down and have a fight with him over a pie. And he shouts at her, don't bully me. It's Dan White. Hi, Dan. She still bullies me. Hello. She should bully, yeah. That was still one of my classic Forest Bowers. Uh, also joining us to talk about Steve. Most of that, by the way, was true, uh, unlike Holly's. Uh, also joining us to talk about Steve Cooper's tiny little fist of power is a woman who in 1995 got so wasted watching Kanicki at Rock City, uh, which she's not in, uh, that she got on their tour bus post-gig and finished off the rest of their shows playing maracas. She went on to set up Radio 6 Music and invented the non-sticky side of sellotape. It's Holly Royal. You know what? That is scarily accurate, Reeves. Which bit? Very, that I went to see Kanicki at Rock City. I think it was actually 1997. And um, Laura Laverne kissed my hand as she walked off stage, which I loved at the time. So well, I was going to put a thing that it was your fault that she went into broadcasting, but I actually thought that might have been unfair because I haven't heard her for ages and she's probably all right. I, can't, I really can't remember. Uh, and also, my sister used to live with a girl whose father did actually invent the non-sticky side of sellotape, which at first used to really blow my mind. But I guess if it was both sticky... Anyway, the things uh, you know. Um, so we're recording this uh, the Monday after the Blackpool win and spirits couldn't really be higher. Uh, Twitter seems to have calmed its shit down a bit. People are being nice and some have even decided Ryan Yates can play football. Uh, saying that, just a few podcasts back, we had Steve Corry on and he rightly described Forrest as the destroyer of worlds and not in a good way. And we were totally lost on how it at all would change at all, really. But it has. So four wins from five for the new boss and the biggest night and day I think I've ever seen as a Forest fan. Holly, we'll start with you as uh, as we do. I say as we do, we don't normally, but anyway, feels pretty good right now. Uh, and how was your trip from that London and what was the atmosphere like? Let's go with Atmos first. I absolutely thoroughly enjoyed that one. It was brilliant. It was a proper match day. You know, going there with optimi optimism off the back of those amazing results that we've had lately, um, you know, the atmosphere was fantastic. Really, really good. Um, and it was a really entertaining game of football as well. Um, both sets of fans were really going for it. You know, there was a flare in the, uh, an orange flare in the Blackpool end when they scored and we were giving Kia dogs abuse. And it was just a proper, a proper atmosphere, proper old school kind of atmosphere in, in the city ground. So yeah, it was brilliant. Um, and the feeling at the final whistle, I mean, it was just electric. And, you know, the... Uh, what has become customary now, the fist pump from uh, Mr. Cooper was uh, definitely spine tingling. I don't know. He just read the room. He just, I don't know. It, it was like everybody was just waiting. It was the way. And it was, yeah, I went home. Was team, happy wasn't it? He sort of, when I've watched it back, there was almost an element of, it wasn't like he just remembered. It's always going, ah, fucking hell. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, it was brilliant. Yeah. No, I like, that. I like that a lot. Um, and like me, Dan, you were watching it on the box, I presume, unless you time warped over to uh, Nottingham without telling us. Um, you could really feel that buzz in the, even, you know, in the stadium, even watching it on the TV, uh, even being told not to bully me. You know, you, you could feel that, couldn't you, watching it? I mean, apart from what, my first half was play for 10 seconds, stop for 10 seconds. So it was fucking horrible to watch, felt seasick. But uh, the overall vibes from watching it over there, Dan, how did you feel? Yeah, no, this is exactly as you said. I, I think it was great. And you can tell what comes through on the commentary as well. You know, I, I think Colin Fraser's um, as enthusiastic as ever in his style, but the backing noise you get to that and the oohs and the ahs and the different things, I think just speaks to a different level of uh, enthusiasm across it all. And it, it sounded like, as you said, Holly, there was a um, good following from Blackpool there. It's always easy to for me to say, you know, the, the, the away fans were great when you've beaten them. I think, you know, it's good. To, <laughs> it's harder to say that when you've lost, but um, yeah, it just sounded like the kind of um, the perfect uh, game in that respect, winning, but also great atmosphere, no trouble, but just kind of each, you know, each side getting into it a bit. Um, and I think the only other thing I'd say is um, even when we were drawing, I, I, 
it, to a degree, of course, we've got to win games at the moment, but even when we were drawing, it was just nice to watch. I actually enjoyed it rather than thinking too much about the result. I didn't get carried away in what the score was necessarily. It was just enjoying entertaining football to watch, and then that's probably a good sign. Yeah, the first the first goal, it had done its little time delay for me, and then they were celebrating. We were. So I I, I didn't see the goal. I saw the celebration. So, oh, great, it's good. Um, but no, I know what you mean. And it's, and it's one thing we kept going on about before was that... Um, it's not just because we're not winning that we're pissed off, you know, how it was. Um, and now it feels like I almost have to say the same. It doesn't just feel good this because we're winning. There is a difference to it. And I know that sounds probably to a lot of people like, well, that's just doesn't make sense because you're just winning. But um, we'll come to that because there is a part of this where we're going to keep a little bit of caution and feet on the ground. But before we do, um, uh, there's a few sections of this show which have been in and out. One of them has been a quiz that I've done which uh, a lot of people have liked, a lot of people have hated, um, and we've been having mystery guests. We will be having more um, coming soon. Uh, we just thought we'd been trying out different things. But one thing we do keep doing is guessing that Garibaldi. So all the way live from the US of A, um, he's, I don't think he, did you say this one was shit down or did you say it wasn't your best? But can you briefly explain what it is first and then get us on the way? I said neither of those things, but thanks, thanks for the uh, <laughs> for the support. No, um, I, I said it's not a goalkeeper, so I'll give you that clue for free. Oh, I thought you said it's okay. I thought you said it wasn't a keeper, as in it was not a good one. Sorry, mate, I'm with you now. No, but it also might not be a keeper. Let's see. Um, but yeah, ba- basic principle is I'll drop some clues in through the through the episode. Try and guess if you're playing along at home who it is. The sooner you get the right answer, the more points you get. Um, and of course, for the two of you on here, if you think you know who it is, send me a a WhatsApp, and uh, I'll make note of when you guessed it. So, uh, I'm assuming the theme music is dropping now. Boom. Okay, so first clue. Making his professional debut in 1997, he played 282 games for 13 professional teams. He played more games for Forest than any other team in his career. Oh, so, is that it? That's it for the first one. 97 debut, 282 games for 13 teams. More of those games for Forrest than anyone else. Bollocks. Because uh, <laughs> how, many, how many games was that? 282. Holly, thoughts? How many teams as well, sorry? 13. So that's 282 divided by 13 is... 21 games per team on average that's a, he, he either played a lot for one or bubble for anyone else um holly any thoughts so far on that one nothing comes to mind can i just say i love the acoustics coming from dan's basement it's, it's great. um <laughs> it's a bit echoey uh, yeah no i like it i like it no, I, uh, I think it's um, all right but you've now no, i do i like it i like the it sound uh proofing in the, the future podcast but uh, yeah holly i ain't got a clue of you no i haven't at the moment Okay, uh, Dan, that's it. Thank you for that. Um, we're going to move on to the next bit here. Uh, but as I don't think I've ever had one of yours where I've least had a clue after the first one at all. Um, we now, Holly, would like to look through the team area by area and sort of say how they did post um, Blackpool. And they said Bristol. Um, so I'll start with the keeper. Um, always a bit of a funny one to analyse as well because it's either had a howler or a great game or nothing really. But been a contentious one so far this season but Bryce was great at Brum amazing save and he seemed like the better version of himself since Hewton left so maybe uh maybe a little bit gung-ho for the Blackpool goal but overall the goalkeeper yeah I think to be fair he didn't really have anything to do all game and the one thing he did have to do he mucked up um he just needed to catch the ball and that was that it was it was done and dusted and I think you know a bit of better communication between himself and I think it was Spence that went up for the ball I think it was him anyway but um I'm going to forgive him, though, considering how well he's played lately and his, his performance against Birmingham, you know. Um, he is still a little bit inconsistent, but I think on the whole, to be fair, he didn't really have a lot to do, did he, on Saturday? Um, and, yeah, it was disappointing, and he was definitely to blame for their goal. But do you know what? It doesn't really matter because we never looked like we are going to lose that game. Even when that goal went in, I thought, nah, we're going to still win this because that's the team at the moment. They've just got that spirit, so I'm not going to blame him too much. Yeah, there was a definite period, I think, second half, wasn't there? Maybe 10, 15 minutes where they really felt like they had sort of their foot on their throat in a way. But then how many how many shots did he actually save? Because how many shots were there on? So, you know, a bit of a funny one, that. I mean, we'll probably do this most weeks. So uh, it might be one that we always just sort of glaze over a little bit on the goalkeeper. I'll often look at the other person and say, Dan, any thoughts on the keeper? Or do you want me to go on to your next question? 
Um, all I'd say is, you know, um, I think we've got a decent backup keeper in Horvath and he hasn't had an opportunity yet, but it's the most difficult position on the field to change, isn't it? And, yeah. you know, even if Samba has the odd bad game here and there, you've always got to look at what the alternative is. And I'm not saying Horvath is a, is a bad keeper. I'm just saying, you know, changing mid-run is, is a pretty ballsy thing to do. So I guess, you know, stick with him while we're getting the results. I think I want to do a new feature, Dan, wherever you mention anything that's even remotely connected to America, I want to get a sound effect that goes yee-haw in a really ridiculously over-the-top stereotypical way because all of it was like, yeah, it just comes out of nowhere for no reason. Like whenever I say New York or New Jersey, I do that in that kind of cod Sopranos way. Um, Dan, we're going to move up the field and away from the keeper and go on to the back. See, defence is written there and I'm seeing it as defence now because of that. Um, it's been highlighted numerous times since Saturday about Worrell's raking balls, uh, which sounds like a, a porn film. Uh, for both goals um, <laughs> uh, composure <laughs> how do you have raking balls uh, but I also I really hope he hasn't got some disease called raking balls that I don't know about we've just got the name for the podcast as well this week Joe Worrell's raking balls um, but I've also seen a lot of praise for figs and the godlike McKenna who actually I thought was quite quiet the other day but that's because he was just going about doing his business <laughs> <laughs> uh, anyway, the fullbacks are sh uh, sort of strangely for defenders, getting a lot more notice for the forays into the attack, I'd say. Uh, but overall, your thoughts on the men at the back and any testicular problems they may have? Um, yeah, I'm just thinking maybe expansive balls is a better phrase. Maybe. I don't know. Maybe it isn't. I'm not, I'm not sure. Um, just for those for those who can't see, which is everyone, um, Freebs has just lost it, I think, majorly and gone on to mute. And, um, but no, I, we've said a lot over the past... Um, the past few weeks about how well our defence has played in the five and we picked out individuals. So I think I'll maybe just make a more general point, which is um, what I noticed is uh, it's not much of a risk sending Spence and Lowe forward when you've got three at the back and it's not much of a risk asking one of your three uh, centre-backs to push forward a bit and play that long ball or maraud over the halfway line like Morrill did for the second goal where he had the shot from three yards out that led to Graben putting it in. Because um, you got options and you still have two at the back. And I do think as much as Figueredo gets stick, he's a good defender, right? Um, and McKenna certainly is. So I just like the way we set up. It's kind of almost giving you more going forward and weirdly not risking much at the back. So um, as long as they're all fitting into it well, which they seem to be doing, then I'm all for the system and I'm all for the five of them playing together. I think the really real test will be what happens when one or two of them get injured or suspended? Who do we bring in and how do we move things around and adapt and use those three? But I like, I like the system and it seems to be working well. I think Figs definitely needs that extra support. I think if he went down to a two, it's going to be McKenna and Worrell. Um, but while you're playing that, well, that's a good point. I never really thought about that, that those those <laughs> raking balls, the raking, uh, stop saying raking, fuck's sake. The, the, the forward runs from the fullbacks, Holly's isn't it now, um, are definitely helped by having that support. Because I mean that, I can't even think of even con, 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 so conceiving it happening earlier this season or maybe last season that we'd have fullbacks getting, you know, your centre-back is going to pick out your fullback for a cross into, into the box. Okay, so uh, let's move on to the midfield, uh, Holly. Jack and Yates were immense. I guess I could probably sort of stop there and not so waste. And Garner coming on and shored it up brilliantly at the end as well. Discuss. Yeah, absolutely. Um, it's just... Fantastic to see Cole back, you know, back to his best. And what the hell have they done with Ryan Yates? What the hell has Cooper done with Ryan Yates? I mean, oh, wow. there was... We've always liked Ryan Yates on this show. I love Ryan Yates. I've always loved Ryan it Yates. feel good to be so fucking right. I know he hasn't had some good <laughs> games, but... And it's very easy now to turn this into the negative. People going, no, nah, but some people were proper dicks. Anyway, yeah. continue. Yeah, I mean... There was always a player there. There always has been a player there. But it, again, it's like anybody in this team. It's just getting the best out of them and getting that belief in them. And um, you can tell that Ryan Yates is a player that does want to play the ball forward. You know, he he does he does the dirty work. He does break up play and he does it really, really well. But there was there was a ball. Now, again, I haven't watched it back, but there was a ball towards the end. I think he tried to put through to Max Lowe. Forgive me if I'm wrong. Absolutely beautiful. It didn't quite come off, but if it had, I mean, that would have been one of the goals of the season, I think. You know, it was just like, who is this guy? You know, <laughs> what have they done with Ryan Yates? It's just um, amazing. Um, brilliant to see. Cole back as well. Um, confident, assured. Um, he just looked, again, back to the old Jack Colback of uh, of the of the Sabri era, or the Karanka era, you know, um, playing the ball forward, again, breaking up play. Just like the shackles are off. Um, like a lot of the players, I think, and coming on to Ghana, yeah. I mean, it's brilliant that we've got that 
level to come off the bench and really just kind of battle for every ball. You know, at the end, he was going in for every 50-50, pretty much won all of them. You know, that tenacious kind of attitude, that youthful kind of attitude that he has. And I think that was exactly what we needed at the end of the game and um, just to kind of keep us ticking over and, um, you know, keeping the ball in the in the final third. So really, really pleased. It's actually harder to discuss these areas of the team with the way that we play, because in some senses, the fullbacks are part of that midfield and the attack as much as, you know, Zinkenegel and Brennan are, I guess, in some ways as well. But I think it's easier ways just to go with those two. I'm just going to read your thing from the Athletic here, which is, so it's Jack Colback talking. So it's, Ryan has done really well. Uh, sorry, it's not <laughs> Poor old John Colback. He's, he's never going to do oratory stuff after getting you know, after his football, does he? Uh, he's put, he said, Ryan has done really well. He made some really nice forward passes, which is something he's been trying to do more. I speak to Ryan quite a lot, and he talked about how he previously watched games back and would try to keep things safe too, uh, safe too much. You go through that when you're young because you don't want to make mistakes, but you're only as good as the system you're in, and this system is bringing the best out of us. Dan, any thoughts on uh, Ryan Yates watching back his performances and saying he's been too defensive, almost like... Was he told to do that or was, you know, what was that all about? Yeah, I think we talked about this a few weeks back, probably, I think it was prior to, well, it was when um, he who shall not be named was our manager. Um, and I think we talked about, you know, is, is Yates getting the stick because um, he's not do, he's doing what he's being asked to do and that's not what we want to see? Or is it because he's being asked to do something else and he's not capable of it? And I think it's the former Right, based on what we've seen so far, which is play people in the right positions, whether it's you know grabbing Yates, Figueredo, whoever, um, and you'll get something out of them. You don't be accidentally become a professional footballer at a certain level and chance your way through a hundred appearances without having you know something to back it up. Um, I think the only other thing I'd say is if anyone had Ryan Yates playing a no look forward ball into the box on their bingo card, then they're lying. Yeah, exactly. And I also didn't know Voldemort used to be the manager, which is interesting when you said about he shouldn't be named. I was really quite impressed by that. Um, Dan, we're going to just before we move on here, because I want to make sure I do get him in. Can we have the second part of Guest Gary Baldi? And the music goes like this. Yes. Okay. So recap on the first clue. Professional debut in 97. Uh, played 282 games for 13 professional teams. And he played more of those games for Forest than any other team in his career. Second clue. He started his career with Manchester United and finished with Gold Coast United. Okay. Am I allowed to send you a guess? You can send me two guesses and that's it. So if you choose to send one now, that would be three points. I think it was correct. I think this is wrong because I think I've got it a bit. I think he's a bit later than that. But uh, there you go. That's my. You are wrong. Yeah. One life gone. Big raking balls. Holly, any idea at the minute? You're on mute. I will not miss the days when we don't say you're on mute. I think we're going to say it forever from now on. Um, not not a Scooby at the moment, I'm afraid. Started, yeah, but he said started with Man United. Just didn't say. Yeah. Horrible again, Dan. They better get easier than this. I, I am putting this down as not a keeper. Uh, Dan, while you're there, uh, let's talk about the front line, finally. or Which, again, may include some of the, uh, the fullbacks in this. Um, I wasn't that kind about grabs or Brennan at the start of the season. I think I described uh, Brennan as being a ghost. I do think there was a lot of it where we were hoping he would be X, Y, Z, but I just didn't see him for a lot of games. And Grabham, I felt for a long time, has appeared. I think the appearance of the attitude is more to do with the way Grabham probably holds himself more than anything. He's probably, and I think other people who watched the Sunderland documentary will say that he's, they, they see him as this kind of person. But he, equally, as most of the team were, he was pretty bobbins as well for a while. Um, but along with Zinkenagel, they're, they're really looking energised more than anything. And with the support of Lowe and Spence, there's an urgency and potency we thought might have moved out and was ever going to come back a few weeks ago. The front line and the attack and the things I've just discussed, Dan, if you could talk about those for a little bit on a podcast, that would be lovely. Certainly, I will talk about those things on a podcast and this one, in fact. I'll do it now just for you. Oh, um, so, yeah, I, I'd made a couple of comments to a few people um, over the last few weeks, which was I, I love seeing Johnson play at the moment. And again, I was I, I had my reservations about him coming from League One, hadn't played at this level, right? So I, I, you're kind of taking a guess at that point. And I was probably a bit pessimistic about him. Having seen him at Coventry and then a couple of the other goals, the Huddersfield goal that stood out, of course, and then Barnsley, you see his ability to get in behind the back and you know, do some damage with his pace. And my only concern with that is, given that a lot of our good appearance, uh, performances and his had come away from home 
um, was how does that work when a team sit a bit deeper and how can you really exploit space behind when there is no space behind and does that pace become unusable um, in some respects? Uh, two things I think which made me feel better about that and probably proved me that opinion to be worthless was one, we didn't really play him as a winger or anything on Saturday. We played with a front two, so him and Graben playing as like joint nines almost and Zinkenegel and behind. And when you've got wing backs who can get the crosses in, then you don't need to worry about your front three being wide and put them all through the middle. So I think that was a, a master stroke from Cooper in terms of the way to set the front three up. We weren't expecting it. I'm not sure anyone would have guessed that in terms of the, how they actually played and therefore Blackpool couldn't have. And also what it showed was Johnson is more than just a speed merchant. This harks back to the days of Marlon Harewood. I remember sat with my dad in the upper Trent and Harewood would get the ball and he'd race forward with it. And just like sensible soccer, he would change direction and the ball might carry on in a straight line. I and over time... Through the, the two stands as well. There was sometimes when Marlon was pretty bad, wasn't he? But you're saying it's the speed with Marlon, but not the turning. It was the speed that he had, and then it took him time to build the rest of his game. And I think I was expecting similar from Johnson, but what I saw at the weekend was all the other parts of his game. Like if you look at his movement for the first goal, that was Grabanesque in terms of getting in the right spot for Lowe to put it into confidence and in finishing first time, all of that kind of stuff. So I'm, I'm really pleased, really, that we've, we've got a genuine other option for Graben. Um, We've got obviously uh, Lyle Taylor as well, but I mean, Johnson as being an option. But it's just showing that actually when you've got good players and you trust them and the manager tells them that they're good enough, you can play probably six of our attacking players in any position up there and they will do a different type of job. And that's got to be pretty scary for an opposition defence to plan for that. Um, so just like I said last week, um, options, different ways of working. And we haven't won the last four games the same way each time. And that's really, for me, that's a really good sign that we can be solid at the back of midfield. And then we can just almost be random up front, but quality level of randomness that's really paying off for us at the moment. I think when it comes to this uh, later on about potential pitfalls with it, but it does worry me a little bit if there was a certain amount of injuries in certain places, which I know would affect a lot of teams. But also just to add, I think it's on what you were saying about the midfield as well, between you. When that thing's been doing the rounds today about all the passes Forrest put together before that first goal, um, which I, I was saying to you guys earlier, absolute kudos to the admin team at Forrest for the sound effects and stuff like that. I thought it was very well done. Um, there was a lot of backwards balls. There was a lot of going back and sidewards. And only a few, uh, maybe a month ago, let's say, as a, as a sort of a collective time period, that would have been like bloody going backwards again. Oh, God, you know, defensive and whatnot. But I don't know how either of you feel of that. But that was a team, when you when you had got a confidence level of you, actually going right back to, I think it goes back to Samba, doesn't it, at one point? I'm sure it does. Um, what does that actually say to you, looking at that big old passage of play with all those passing now? Because that could have quite easily, without a Brendan goal on the end of it, have been a very different thing just a month ago. I don't know who wants to jump on that or if that was even a question. Dan is drinking, so he's pointing at Holly going, Holly, talk now, well, talk about football. I'll start and see if Dan agrees with me, but I think it's <laughs> before, it was a case before, I think, of just not having the option, um, just nobody being available. So I think from what I can tell, it's more along the lines of um, people just being well-drilled in their, you know, their, what their jobs are, what their roles are, and, and having that confidence, a mixture of the two. Because before, you just see so many, you know, go back to Worrell, back to McKenna, then to the keeper, and then just shoulders shrugged kind of thing as to, to an option going forward. And then it would go to Ryan Yates, and then he would immediately pass backwards. So now it's kind of like, I just feel like they're just, it's a mixture of being well-drilled, but also having that positive kind of mindset that we didn't really have before, that forward-thinking mindset. I can't imagine us putting 26 passes together. And I definitely couldn't have imagined us ever reaching the striker about a month ago. Dan? No, I completely agree with Holly. And I think, one, the crowd get on your back, but we can't blame the crowd. I think we played a lot of games that were bad without any crowd in the ground and still the same outcome was there. It was blind hope that if we carried on passing backwards, eventually someone would do something magical. Whereas now it feels like well-placed optimism that we've got players that can do something and we're just biding our time waiting for that thing to happen. So it's all about confidence and it's confidence in the players that they know, well, if we just keep doing this, we've seen that results come. So it builds and it builds and they know that passing backwards isn't the end of the world, but also it has that impact on the crowd, which is the crowd don't get on Yates's back for passing backwards when they've seen him do it to Worrell, who's then played an amazing ball that's been finished off and everything else. So, um, yeah, I think it, it's just people talk about it and it's simple to go back to, but confidence breeds confidence and wins breed confidence. And it's just this positive cycle. And we're in a downward death spiral with Hewton. And now we're on this kind of positive spiral. And I think 
the key thing will be maintaining that when a couple of results don't go well. And I have every faith that players will do that because they're grounded individuals who have come up through, you know, a professional system and they understand that it doesn't work out every week. If we have a couple of losses and people start getting on players' backs again about playing that way, I think they've got to remember that it's worked for us and we'll have some unlucky, you know, unlucky days or off days or whatever else. And we've just got to look past those and look at the bigger trend at the moment as to where we're going. Yeah, I think we definitely need to see us against some uh, definitely what's the best way of putting this not so much better opposition because I still think Huddersfield we played at a time when they were doing all right and Blackpool have been on a really good run as well probably similar to our own recently so I've heard a few things from I think it's might have been Hodge or um people on the radio sort of saying well yeah I see whenever a real test and I, I guess they're they're talking about Fulham they're talking about Bournemouth they're talking about West Brom and that isn't that far away um Holly let's move on to the manager he's a guy called Steve Cooper have you heard of him he's got a very powerful fist Jesus. Um, at this rate, he'll have a statue next to Robin Hood by Christmas. Uh, tactically, why is this? I was just thinking when Dan was talking, really sorry, I'm going to stop the question for a minute. If you told me at the start of the season that there would come a point where I thought of the words bum bongos and raking balls and thought about Joe Worrell with both, um, I never thought that would have happened. Um, as I was saying about Steve Cooper with his mighty fist, at this rate, you'll have a statue next to Robin Hood uh, by Christmas. Um, tactically, what has been the biggest shift you've noticed? If, if you could like to talk us through some tactics here on the podcast. I was going to say, it's taken a very seedy undertone, hasn't it? Um... Well, do you know what? If you've both been <laughs> looking at me like the Robin Hood statue with no, you know, nothing on your face... I mean, I must admit, I had a pretty wild night out on Saturday in Brighton, and I think I've just got a little bit risque. Um, sorry about that. Um, I just think, you know, uh, forward thinking and freedom, you know, uh, just, I think the, the players just seem really comfortable. They know they're very assured in the jobs that they have been told to do. And I think like anything in life, if you're, if you feel comfortable in your role and you know what you're doing, you're going to thrive. And I think that's what he's sort of instilled in this team um, quite simply. He just, yeah, he's just keeping it simple. He's come in, he's assessed what he's got. He's spoken to each of the players, got them on board, got their ideas. Um, everybody's buying into it. And um, yeah, it's just working really well, really, really well. And I think it's taken us all by surprise because, you know, there wasn't a time on Saturday where I thought, no, nah, we'll settle for a 1-1 here. I thought, no, we're going to go for it. We're going to win this game. You know, I've no, you know, no reason to believe that we would just sit back and we would, you know, we're taking it 1-1. So yeah, fantastic. Yeah, I, I, I must admit, I, I thought in a really weird way that at 1-1, it was really massive if it went which way it went. And, and I don't mean like season-defining or promotion juice. Uh, but what I meant is more of a thing of it. this is the kind of game that if it gets near the end of the season, that if you've gone and taken it against a team that is doing quite well, it's, kind of, you know, it's an important thing. Uh, I guess continuing on from that, Dan, we saw substitutions that I really don't think we would have seen under Hewen. I, or at least we didn't in his time with us. I'm not just purely basing this on just, you know, what I, I thought of the man. I, he was there for a while. So we got to see a little bit of what he did. Three changes at the end to shore it up, but he also added a bit of pressure on them still. And I think Forrest, we could probably talk about this on the negatives of it, probably should have scored a few more goals, really. Um, has that been something you've noticed with Cooper regarding the way he uses his bench? Because I, I definitely think I've seen it. Yeah, it strikes me as something uh, similar in nature and not identical to how Sabri used his bench as well. Um, and that's, it's like, I think there's two dimensions to it. One is it's easier to make changes sometimes when you're winning or when the game's going in your favour or when you're playing well, because as I said before, you're trying to build on something, you're trying to maintain something. You're not panicking and trying to say, well, this isn't working, I've got to try something different. So I think we've made our own kind of space and giving ourselves the luxury of being able to make our own substitutions that suit our own agenda rather than trying to react to something. Um, but also he's made like for like substitutions, which was one of the criticisms we leveled at Hewton because we needed to change something and he didn't. He brought on one striker for another striker, didn't go to up front. But when you're winning and you're doing fairly well, um, bringing on a midfielder for a midfielder or a striker for striker is just adding, it's adding fitness, it's adding a bit of impetus um, but it's also a reflection that what you're doing is working and maybe some other managers might have decided to put on a defender for a midfield or a midfielder for a striker and try and shore things up. The positivity about the substitutions is we're winning. We're winning a certain way. We're trying to score goals and we make substitutions to continue to try and do that. Um, and I haven't seen that from many managers at Forest, even going back to the likes of Billy Davis. He was the first to kind of shut up shop 
Um, and I like this kind of a bit more, I don't want to call it cavalier, it's not quite Kevin Keegan, but it's at least of that approach of, well, we, we might try and score another one here, so let's keep them guessing. Let's not make the last half hour just them bombarding our goal and us hoping to to hold out for a 1-0 here. So yeah, I can't, again, can't speak enough about how I've been impressed with the, don't just want to call it tactics, but the approach and the strategy of what we're trying to achieve and how well it's thought through. Wasn't there a game when um, Hewton made no subs, if I remember rightly? And there was a bit of a, we didn't bring anyone on. And it wasn't even like we're winning 4-0. But anyway, whatever, I don't keep to keep knocking him, but it does look a little bit like with more hindsight that goes by that Chris Hewton has probably run out of uh, <laughs> manager juice. Oh, God, not another thing. Okay, so here we go. Let's uh, change the subject really, really quickly before we change it again. Dan, I'm ready for the third part of the guest of Garibaldi, if uh, if you have one. I'm sure you do. Um, and let's stop the music, and away we go. All right, so a reminder, very quickly again, started his career in 97, played 282 games for 13 professional teams, and played most or more for Forest than any other team. Started his career at Manchester United and finished with Gold Coast United. And the third clue... The majority of his time at Forest was spent in League One, but he left for QPR following our defeat to Yeovil in the playoffs. Sorry, I should have made some incidental noise. Uh, oh no, left for QPR. Went to QPR from us, decided we offered him a contract. I'll give you that tidbit. He turned it down and decided to leave for QPR when we didn't get promoted after losing to Yeovil. See, the person I was about to send you a thing off, I think we got from QPR. So, oh, bugger. I don't know. Holly, anything? I mean, you look dumbfounded. Nope. Nada, nada, nada. Well, like I say, thank God Lisa isn't here because she'd be moaning about this one, I'm sure. <laughs> um, I do think Lisa actually beat me on the Alan Fettis. Uh, was it Fettis? Yeah. Was, yeah. God, it will haunt me, that one. Um, okay, Dan, thank you. Uh, I do I do mean to thank you as well. It's not like being sarcastic. Um, Holly, since we've been away, uh, we've seen a first in the way that the club, um, a first in the way that the club, at the behest of the manager, set up a forum with the fans of the club. That's a really big move and shows a great understanding of what fans thrive off. And now the manager is open to sharing his plans and visions. Nothing but a good thing, eh? I've written down in the script, but I could have done it much more natural. That's nothing but a good thing, eh? And more camp, obviously. But yeah, Holly, uh, what are your thoughts on that? Yeah, absolutely. Um, I think it's a brilliant thing. Um, you know, fan engagement under the old regime was virtually zero, wasn't it, really? So... Um, I think Steve Cooper's come in, he's read the room really well, and um, I think it can only be seen as a, a positive thing. And um, long live the do-gooders. Well, yeah, because what's the, the opposite is a, is a don't badder. Um, and yeah, I mean, for, I mean I, I'm pretty sure that the people who bitched about that aren't listening to us. I don't know why. I don't know if I put us in a certain place on, in the world of the Forest podcastery, but... Yeah, for those knocking Max and Dora and all those guys, it's like, I just don't get how that's, you know, oh, I'm not going to go because John from Bullwell's going to say that I'm a do-gooder. It's like, I, don't get me wrong. I, I don't like goody-goody two-shoes all the time. I do like a bit of the devil in people. But since when is it always just like, well, you shouldn't go because you haven't smashed a glass over someone's head. Ooh, edgy. Have a look at yourself. Come on. It's not a bad thing. And I think it was just really, when you watch the nine-minute version of it as well, the way Cooper talks, I mean, I do, I do understand the point of view that it's all very easy to say these things, but the guy is backing it up at the minute and we are going to come to the cautionary bit in a minute, but as it stands, saying the right thing, seems to appreciate his role at the club, seems to really see this as a privilege to be the manager of this team and has and mentioned things like big club and stuff like that and not gone the Joe Kinnear route of going, I'm taking down all them pictures and God knows what, because let's get it straight. We haven't been in the top flight for over two decades. You know, that's to a lot of people's lifetimes. And we I'm very, very okay with where Forests are. They're a sort of provincial Midlands team in the second flight of English football. We haven't got that divine right that a lot of the older sweats still believe we should have, you know, things like that. But let's also just take it on board that we are not your Berry, we're not your Accrington Stanleys. We're a fairly hefty club. You know, when Dane's taken over now as you know, it's it's a big company that you're running there, you know. Coming on to that, actually, Dan, Steve Cooper is Dane Murphy's first appointment since taking up his role at the club. So I don't think it's too wide of the mark to say that Cooper fits his brief, a Dane's brief, and how he wants the club, the business, the team to be aligned. 
I might be wrong, but I, I don't think I am because it's, you know, depending on who's out there, it's the first person he's had a time to go, I'm going to get this manager. In. If this is the new Nottingham Forest going forward, how excited are you by this? And this is kind of an umbrella one about all of it, really, because, you know what I mean, it's, a, it's not like it's a manager from another time. You know, how do you feel about that whole lineup as it is? Yeah, no, I, I'm impressed. I think we can only be as impressed by Dame Murphy as we can by Cooper to a degree. And what I mean by that is they haven't been here that long at all, right? And now it would have only taken a couple of other results as not to get an equaliser against Millwall and not to have got that one against, um, second one against Blackpool. And as much as all the stuff we've talked about, style of play would have clearly been night and day versus what we've seen over the last year. It might not have had such hyperbole associated with it. So I think we've got to stay grounded to a degree. Um, but also Dave Murphy did pick Steve Cooper, right? That's fact. And we wouldn't have Steve Cooper here if Dane Murphy hadn't been brought in. But then I think you've just got to give credit everywhere in the decision-making process. I think, you know, Brian Clough talked about um, the idea that, you know, if results aren't going their way and a manager gets sacked, then the chairman should resign as well because he put the manager in place. Yeah. The same is true here. So if we're going to give Dane Murphy credit for bringing Steve Cooper in without getting carried away quite yet, then we've honestly got to give credit to the Forest Board and owner for bringing Dane Murphy in. If that's the way it works, right? You can't, I don't, we can talk about what they've done wrong and what we still don't like about the club and certain things, but you've got to give credit where it's due. And and from what I've seen, there's no reason to believe that Dane and uh, Steve Cooper haven't got the best at heart for Forrest. And just like the players, when people talk about players not performing or not playing for the manager, these are all like uber professionals who have come up through a system where it's dog eat dog and you have to perform None of them have got a bone in their body, which is I'm going to put my reputation on the line to do something bad, to screw someone else over. That's not how this works. And I think people are naive to think otherwise. Dane Murphy wants to be a hugely successful CEO who gets a team into the Premier League or at the very least does well enough here, just like a player, to get an opportunity in the Premier League. Steve Cooper is the same. Our players are the same. And I believe for once they're all in, on the right, in the right direction, um, thinking the same things, and have a playing style and a recruitment philosophy and a thinking about the club that we haven't had for a long time. So um, I'm not getting carried away, but long may it continue. Yeah, I'd also argue that just while you're saying that, maybe think about they may be on the same level as well. If you look at the success that Barnsley definitely had under Dave Murphy or under his, you know, his role there, plus what Steve Cooper's done in the game up to this point, it's not like one of them used to be the CEO of Benfica or Barcelona or someone, and they've gone, oh, I'll go and have a go in England. I reckon they're both up and coming. They've both got a certain element of the, the youth on their side. And I think that's the thing that actually does attract me to all this lining up the way it is so far, and a big line under so far, is that I do think you've got two people who are, it's not like Cluffy's days when you might have had an old car dealer owning Derby, whatever that Sam guy was, he was just like, it's my bloody club. You know what I mean? There is a, there's a there's a youthful exuberance about the two men that I think um, is, is something actually quite exciting about that. Um, Holly, I'm not, not trying to be negative, but more cautious and well-heeled fans will tell you there's still room for improvement, injuries, etc. come along. Where do you see the potential pitfalls for this side as it is now or things you'd like to see them do better? And this that question is sponsored by, we've only had five games. Right? We're not being crazy. We're enjoying it because it has been dire. It's been a long time of dire. But what things do you see that, you know, is there any boxes you kind of want to see ticks? Is there like, you know, if we beat Fulham, for instance, and one of the sides that are flying, would that give you a bit more? And don't try and mention promotion juice because it is Dan's, uh, un unlike the fruit and nut he likes, he doesn't like the word promotion juice. So, yeah. Um, I think a lot of people have sort of identified that, the, you know, the next two games are quite pivotal, aren't they, really? Um, get something at Bristol, potentially beat Fulham at home, and then I think we're really talking then, aren't we? Um, who knows? Bristol are awful at the minute, but when did we last win at Bristol City away? Does anyone know? Really good question. Maybe. Yeah, you know. I think it was 2011. If not, it was 2001. It was one of the 2000s. NZ1. I'll double check that. Sorry, Holly. Go on. So Limey. there for bloody ages. Um, but in terms of the team, I think there's not there's not a major. I mean, nothing that really springs to mind that's anything really of a major worry. I think we we may have looked a little tired in the last sort of 15 minutes on Saturday, a little bit leggy around that sort of squeaky bum time where we were, you know, fingers crossed, holding on for the win. Um, I mean, how would we rectify that? I guess that would be squad rotation to sort of avoid burnout. But at the moment, you just wouldn't change it. Would you? you wouldn't change it up? You know, it's a winning, it's a winning team. You don't change a winning team. So maybe a slight worry there. Um, 
and the only other one I can think of really is just to be a bit more clinical in front of goal. I think we could have scored three or four on Saturday. Um, I'd love to see Lewis Graben get 20 goals this season. Um, but I also think we definitely need to buy another backup in January. Um, I, I pretty much made my mind up now that Val Taylor, although obviously he hasn't made an appearance recently, but I, you know, I think I'm not particularly confident that he's, he's the answer to, to back up really here. And, uh, Perhaps a striker and just being a bit more clinical, I think, are the only two things at the moment. But it's it's really refreshing to not, at the moment, have a major amount to worry about, but also being quite cautious and not getting too carried away because this is the championship at the end of the day and it is Forest. So, you know, fingers crossed. Yeah. I think Lyle Taylor is a funny one for me because when I remember when we played Derby last season and I don't know if he'd scored in that game. I thought it was the home game. And I remember saying to my partner at the time, God, he speaks so well for a footballer. And he was on about how football is fans and all this kind of stuff. And I thought, yeah, he does speak well. And I remember the Charlton fans being all like, yeah, he'll talk well, but he'll stab you in the back and all that. Because obviously he'd left under the reasons he'd left. And, you know. And then I've obviously seen a lot of that stuff with the WhatsApp group stuff and the various other bits and bobs that have gone on. And I get the vibe that he's kind of, when things are going well, he's one of those players more than when things are bad. I get the vibe that, you know, he was on the, um, the BBC the other day with Aaron doing the show, the similar thing that me and Lisa do. And I was just, I was, you know, he's very, you know, speaks very well. And, you know, very, and I just thought, yeah, I, I'm you're the kind of guy I definitely want on my side when things are going well more than the other anyway. But Dan, I mean, following on from that, if, you know, I, I agree with you, Holly. I think if we lose, say there was a game, say tomorrow we lose Grabham and we lose Worrell. I'm just picking, I'm not, I mean, Scott McKenna's the one that would hurt me more, but I'm just saying at the minute with those uh, raking balls of his and say we lost uh, Yates, who's been playing really, really well. Do you, I mean, is, you know, Cafu potentially, you know, so Taylor, I mean, that that's my worry with Forrest at the minute is that the players who are these bigger, most oiled cogs at the minute get injuries that those that come in have got to hit the ground running. Can they now the way the team's put together? I mean, is that, how do you feel on that one, Dan, in terms of the depth? So I'm going to take a slightly different approach on this one, I think, and I'll include Lyle Taylor in, in that list as well, which is we can say these players, probably Cafu more than, than anyone, um, has been given an opportunity and we've seen them enough. But we've also seen them in enough in a system and a period of time that we have all been deeply critical of the manager and how we played and how every player who played under him who's currently in the team for Cooper has changed overnight into someone who's gone you know probably two points up in there out of 10 mark every week at least so I feel that everyone would talk about a clean sheet under a new manager I think we should apply the same principle to all those who haven't yet had a run in the team Lyle Taylor and so I'm hesitant to go as far as Jenkinson because I think he's had a few opportunities and I think there's there's something more going on there there must be because you don't play for Arsenal in England and turn into a bad player overnight um but I feel like we should give them all a chance. And as much as I haven't seen, as much as I hope for from Lyle Taylor, if you were to drop him into a team, let's say away at Bristol City with Johnson and Zinkanagel and or Lolly, um, I think a run of games, you might see something different. And if we're going to talk about, you know, Graben being one of those whose body language is a bit off when he's not doing well and not scoring goals and doesn't come out and say positive things, then I think we have to be fair and give Lyle Taylor that opportunity as well. And if if he doesn't get the opportunity and we replace him in January uh, and he goes on somewhere else, then I probably, yeah, no, I, I feel that we maybe just didn't give him the opportunity and that, that was just one of those things. But I'd, I'm quietly confident about the team we've got because I believe it's easier to come in as one player into a team that's performing well than the pressure they were put under last year coming into a team that was performing badly and expecting to carry a team on their shoulders. So I'll, I'll reserve judgment for now, but I'm, I'm optimistic, I think. Yeah, I, def- I, I think it was on this pod last year. I definitely remember saying something about when, because Taylor had a run, didn't he, last year when Grabham was out and he, or maybe got dropped, I can't remember, but he had a good five or six games. And I remember defending him going, yeah, but he's, he's had it with no support, no, nothing being provided for him. You know, it's almost like trying to judge somebody when they've got a food poisoning and, you know, as a wedding performer or something, go, God, he was awful. You go, well, yeah, you had the shits or something, you know, it's, it's not always easy to do. Um, something that isn't the shits is uh, Guest of Garibaldi. And I think it's time for part three. Uh, Dan, if you could uh, give us a little recap and away we go. It's actually part four. This is your last one. So No, I mean, I was trying to be, I was trying to be a little bit more, Oh, God, it is. Well, I've made a do-do that. I guess I was trying to get more points from it, really. I thought, surely we can't be this clueless this far in. But anyway, yeah, go for it. All right. So I'll read clue number four, and then I'll recap the others. 
This right-back went on to play for Wrexham and Northampton Town before finishing his playing career in Australia. He had a brief spell as an assistant coach at Hartford Athletic of the USL in America in 2020. So right-back, majority of his time at Forest was spent in League One and he left after we lost to Yeovil. Started his career with Manchester United, played 282 games for 13 professional teams. I mean, we're now at the stage, Holly, where you can say your answer out loud. It's the Northampton one that's getting me. Oh, Yeah, go on, give the others as well for those who are... Uh, you just want to remember the others going. No, um, so yeah, he went on to play after Forest for QPR after he left us and then went on to play for Wrexham and Northampton Town. Oh, it's going to bug me. Uh, League One is a time I remember really well. I remember thinking Julian Bennett at left back. I'm trying to remember who the bloody hell played at right back. I'm going to go Chris Doig. It's not. It's not Chris Doig. Um, he was our go-to right back, I'd say, for the first two seasons in League One. Holly? Oh, dear. Just got ahead in her hands. I think he played about 80 games over the end of the season we were relegated from the championship, the last part of that, when he was on a short-term deal. And then he played about 70 games across the next two years up to Yeovil. So he was playing more than he wasn't. Um, but mm. I have to say that when I put this together, I forgot all about it. So. Nicky Eden. Nope. That's all your guesses gone. Anything, Holly? Loads of guesses now. I've just thrown them in. Holly? <laughs> the quizzes are always this era, which is my worst era, because again, it's it was, oh, yeah. No, I, can't, I honestly, I can't remember. I'm trying to think of all the, who was the, um, who started against Yeovil. It's a match I'd rather yeah, get, I've honest, But yeah, I'm done, I can't think of anyone. I've, I've given up a distance. Undoubtedly seen this man playing a forest show in front of my eyes. And uh, yeah, I've completely erased him from my, uh, yeah, thing. Anyway, but, but it was the fact he was, yeah, hold on. He had his forest debut and I'm not going to make another guess. He had his forest debut at 97. No, no, he, he made his professional debut oh, in 97. Bollocks, that's what's done me. Anyway, go on down. So he started at Manchester United in 97. Um, I'll add a few other bits in there. He did actually go to Blackburn after that. A fairly decent run at Blackburn. Um, went to Forest and then went on to QPR, Northampton, Wrexham and off to Australia. And it is none other than Forest right back and League One stalwart John Curtis. Yeah, there you go. Never mind. <laughs> <laughs> is it a keeper? It's not a keeper. Apostrophe keeper. Is it a keeper? Probably not either, but... Completely erased him from my head. Yeah. yeah. Bye, John Curtis. Thanks for your time at Forest, anyway. Um, yeah, well, there you go. Thanks for that, Dan. For those of you who probably... Been, I, mean, I reckon most people, if they knew it, would have got it from the QPR bit, I guess. Um, do you know what? He's one of them Forest players who I know, obviously know him, know the name, saw him play, but I couldn't say what he looked like. Probably shaved an head. Well, I've got it from... I don't know. Anyway. Um Anyway, every time I've done them, we'll have another one of those wonderful ones. I think I've only ever got one in the time that he's done them. But Holly uh, is looking still slightly bewildered. <laughs> we'll have a drink. Um, I want to do one in the in the era that I can I can remember because I'm well, tell, tell us what era that, that you want for next time. You can put your order in with Dan. What what era do you? I want? would say from uh, maybe 2006 onwards. Isn't that around the time that he just did? Yeah. Well. <laughs> Okay, back in the championship. In, yeah, see, I've got all my, my dates wrong as well. Yeah, maybe back in the championship or maybe the last the last uh, League One season, perhaps. We're getting old, Holly. That's what it is. I can't exactly. I just, I'm, I'm like Lisa. I just, I can't remember things anymore. Oh, wow. Oh, okay, to so that bit. Okay. <laughs> um, yeah, do you know what I was thinking this the other day? You think of 97. A lot of things in my life I can put down to years because of football. And then when it becomes at football, you start forgetting the years. It's like whenever you think of Paul Hart, that year we got to play against Sheffield United, I always forget what year that is. Because I can't, I didn't start union that year. You know what I mean? There's no milestone next week. And I think when you're like sport, it's a very good way of milestone in your life and remembering years of music. You know what I mean? Like, with, you know, with, I know you love your music as well. So like Be Here Now, I know came out the same day I got my GCSEs, but I went to get the album before I got my GCSEs. You know what I mean? So it's all that kind of linking in. Anyway, one thing we asked the, uh, I say the fans, sounds a little bit weird. Uh, the followers on Twitter to do was to give us some examples of uh, times that you have seen Forrest in the strangest places and the circumstances, because obviously I knew people were going to put things like Pride Park and whatnot, but um, a few of these and we'll sort of discuss them and we're going to ask uh, Dan and Holly for theirs as well. So one of them I've got here from Alex uh, T. Locke. <laughs> 
who is very weird saying it like that because this is the guy I spent all university with and is one of my best and oldest friends who's a big Cardiff City fan. And he put, I have quietly watched Forest versus Cardiff in the home end of the Bridgeford stand, very much in the midst of the loudest group in that area. Brackets, I am a Cardiff fan, by the way. Um, to which uh, I replied to that, you, they were lovely to Cardiff, weren't they? Because there was some hideousness around about you can shove your fucking dragon up you and all this kind of business. Um, and he said, all I can remember is we played awful football, but managed to score two goals and beat you. It was the first time I'd heard the saying, we've been war knocked because he'd never heard of it. And all he's got around him is people going, bloody Warnock, oh, he's a fucking Warnock. And he'd never heard of it. Uh, and bless him, it was kind of borderline embarrassing, actually, about the anti-Welsh stuff. But anyway, um, here's Ben Swanson, who is at Swan Benson, which is yeah, very nice. Um, I illegally streamed Forest versus Blackburn Rovers on my phone while laying in a park in Amsterdam, uh, trying to recover from a massive whitey I pulled in about three hours until my flight home. <laughs> <laughs> I don't think I read that one properly when he said him. <laughs> it's just the thought of it. I like how the illegally streamed bit is the bit when you, <laughs> but I guess you can probably bag a load of mushrooms over there for uh, legal ways. Um, not that Brian Harvey um, at Bright Brighton City ABC. This guy, um, really interestingly, I was doing some uh, uh, some work for Amazon and I was waiting in the car for the shift to start. And he had a forest shirt on. I said, oh, you didn't see many of them. I was in Eastbourne. He went, you freeze a tree. I went, oh, wow. This is it's like the moment. And he's another fellow forest fan in uh, in Sussex in exile. I once watched forest from the 1901 club seat at the Amex. So for those that don't know, Brighton since becoming the most plastic team in the world and pretending that they've always been really big and got loads of fans. They've got this area called the 1901 Club. So they weren't even invented in the 19th century. They're that shitty. Um, and that's where I've had this too, where I had to go and sit with them once to get tickets for that game when they play Forest. He said, a more random setting, a more soulless ambience and weirder group of football fans you could not throw together if you tried. I remember sitting in there and they were all going like, we should be beating shit like these. They were Forest. I'm going, oh! um, so my hatred for Brighton, uh, it's kind of well known amongst certain Forest fans. When we played them, been in the lower Bridgeford and we've gone, I think we beat them 3-0 one season. And I was just going mad at their fans. Like, going, yeah, just giving them it. And everyone's going, why do we hate Brighton? I didn't know we had a problem with Brighton. The irony is they all have beards and glasses like mine. I look just as hipster as them. Um, Tim Brown, Forest Timbo. I was on holiday in Southern Ireland during pre-season and Forest had a friendly versus Derry City. There was a Forest Supporters Island branch bus going from a nearby town. So I hooked up with them. Great night. Not that I remember it very much. <laughs> yeah, getting rat ass with a load of Irish Forest branch supporters. Great idea. Uh, two more to go. Uh, Tim Bilson, who is at Tim Bilson. Uh, top of the One World Trade Center in New York City. Pretended I was more interested in the view on the other side of the building to get a few minutes to watch. He doesn't say any more than that. So um, I don't know if he was meant to be working there or what the reason was why he had to sort of hang over the other <laughs> What was it? Interested in the view on the other side of the building to get a few more minutes. Uh, so that's a New York City one there, Dan. I should have done a yeehaw. And the first one that we got in was from um, Simon Gregory at CyGreg39. Uh, he said, the most random place I've seen Forrest play is in the away end at the city ground. It was when Geddy came back with Watford. He gave me some tickets. Um, I only lasted till half time. I felt like a traitor. Spent the second half in the South Bank waiting for my mate so I could get home. Never again. So, yeah, sitting in the away end at the city ground is got to be up there as well. Um, Holly and Dan, I'm opening it to you just before we wrap up here. Uh, weirdest place for you watching Forest? One of you. Um, <laughs> <laughs> um, nothing like that. Nothing really exciting or different. Um, I remember being in the home end when we played QPR one year and being sat just in front of what seemed to be the QPR ultras uh, with their tops off. And they sang about John Terry for the entire match, pretty much using very interesting language. So that's probably about it, really. Um, I can't think of anything particularly funny or exciting other than that. That, that story, Holly, is, is now is second in my stories of stories that I'll openly tell the person was one of the worst I've heard. <laughs> I was just working recruitment in London and we were all telling man stories around a table at a horrible sort of time in my life. And there was a young man called Doug Fish. He won't be listening to this, so I'll say his name. And he was a lovely guy from Henley, but a little bit uh, Tim Nice, but dim. And everyone's telling these quite interesting, bawdy stories. And he went, oh, we once went to Panama with a couple of guys. And we're going, all right, yeah, Panama. 
Yeah, and um, you know, this guy comes up to us and said, "You, you guys, want to want some uh, drugs, ladies? Good time." And we went, "All right, yeah." And he went, "We said no, thank you." Yeah, that was it. Went home, and your story just just came second, Holly. Uh, Dan, over to you. Finally, uh, please don't join my list. Uh, you might have a new win. You might have a new winner. Oh no, yeah, um, bring it on. No, no. No, a couple, so a couple, so one down in Brighton, I think it was 2012 before it left for the US, met some friends down there for kind of a Christmas get together. So it was like two weeks before Christmas, maybe we played Brighton. I convinced a couple of them who weren't football fans to come along, sat in the forest end, obviously, uh, where Brighton, and our tickets were on the front row and it pissed it down for the whole game. And the stewards at Brighton would not let us move anywhere. It was a sold out end, but they wouldn't even let us stand up at the top again and forced us to sit in a seat and watch nil nil game and get like soaked to the bone during the whole match. Um, so that was my experience at Brighton, which wasn't particularly fun. The other one that's probably slightly more interesting, hopefully, depending on who you are, is I watched Catch. the, <laughs> we'll find out. Um, I watched the Forest Yeovil um, promotion game, so not the playoff game, the promotion game uh, on the last day uh, from the Cheltenham end at Cheltenham Doncaster. Oh, so. I think I knew that from you, but I'd forgotten about it. I think you were in the podcast you did. We spoke about that. So you were at the the big other game. I was. I was based down on the uh, delightful M4 corridor, and I couldn't get a ticket up to Forest. Um, and I decided fairly last minute to go and watch the Cheltenham Doncaster game. And I thought, well, um, you know, I'm cheering for the home team there anyway because we need them to win. And what will be will be, but it'll be a day out and everything else. And it turned out pretty well. So that was a good day. But I didn't even at the end. I didn't almost didn't want to rain on anyone else's parade. It wasn't like Cheltenham were particularly nasty fans or anything, but I didn't make it known that I was a Forest fan through the whole thing. I just enjoyed the day as a Cheltenham fan and secretly smiling to myself that it helped us out as well. So that was good. And a you know, wry smile at the Doncaster fans on the way out. You thoroughly nice man. Remind me because I know Donny were obviously the, the rival for it and it was incredible the way Forest come back the season. But were Cheltenham in with a shout or did it not matter to them? No, I don't think, I'm trying to remember now. Were they going down? I can't remember if they needed to win. I honestly can't recall off the top of my head what the situation was. They weren't in danger of going up. It was more just I can't remember if they were in danger of getting relegated or if... Yeah, I can't can't recall. Anyway, it was a a good game. The the irony is I was watching John Curtis uh, at the City Ground, more more than likely. Um, And I think catching... And actually, thinking about it, Martin, um, Martin, uh, Richard Keogh was playing for Cheltenham that day, so I was cheering him on for the only time I can wow. recall. And yeah, and I, do you know, what? I couldn't hear it properly on the TV, but Holly, maybe you could. Uh, how bad was the Richard Keogh abuse on uh, on the weekend? Because I, I missed it, and I always like seeing it. Relentless. It was lovely. Really, oh, um, delicious. <laughs> was there anything yeah. you could repeat? Uh, no, might get thrown off the podcast. No, um, I don't think so. I Not really. Potty mouth. But go on. The usual banter about should have walked home, um, <gasps> all that kind of thing. The um, devils, the devilish football fans. Well, listen, um, both of you, thank you so much for joining me this week. Um, it's do I prefer it that we're happier? Yeah, of course I fucking do. It's much better than what it was. But it's uh, yeah. So thank you, Dan. Thank you to Holly. Uh, we are going to get this out now. We have Bristol City coming up. So quickly before we do let you go, because I'm sort of been a bit happy. I said now thinking about my drive to Watford that's coming up. Holly, what will be the score when Nottingham Forest travel to Bristol City and play football? Feeling very optimistic. I think we're going to win 2-1. Dan... I could do that thing when someone orders the same thing you were going to order on the menu, so you change your mind, but I'm sticking with 2-1 as well because they begin with B and we beat everyone who starts with B, especially under under Cooper. So that's um, that's just fact. There's no opinion there. That's just going to happen. Bayern Munich. All right, yeah. Oh, under Cooper. Is that, what, is that what's happened every time we played a team with B that it's been 2-1? Barnsley, Blackpool, um, Birmingham. Not two one. We've just won. That's oh, we've mean. won. Okay. Well, yeah, we've more or less won. Yeah, incredible. Okay. Well, that, that that's another thing. So hopefully, remain. And we drew with and we drew with Millwall, who don't begin with B. So it's one hundred percent accurate. Huddersfield. No, he wasn't in charge then. Oh no, you're right. You're right. And okay. Well, that's that's an interesting one. So maybe we can work on this. The, just re- really quickly just to end with, I remember there was a thing before the nineteen ninety eight World Cup that someone showed me why England would win this World Cup which if you ever shown me something which made me believe so fully, it was this. I've never seen anything like it in my life. They'd made like a letter V, as it were, of uh, from 1966, 
all the way to um god i can't remember which walk it was and they kind of went england 66 brazil 70 uh argentina whichever way it was no germany argentina and then who won it in 82 italy and then who won it in 86 argentina 90 germany 94 brazil so if it followed the directory of coming back in this v it was got to be england in 98 because it, it was just really freaky how it lined up. And of course, it was France. Uh, but until then, I've never seen something quite so. I'll put a little graphic of this on the, on the tweets so people can see it. Uh, thanks for all your, um, everyone joining in and sending us stuff in too. We'll have a new question this week, probably um, to know your favorite beverage, uh, which we went with this week. Mine was a nice hot cup of tea with two sugars and very little milk. Uh, but we'll also be asking your probably favorite football games that you played on computers growing up. The answer is sensible world of soccer, but uh, we will see what you all come up with. Um, you Reds, and we'll see you next time. Thank you very much. Hey!